0: Thank yeah. you.
1: Bible verse for this coming week, Revelation 21, 8. Let's say this one together. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Revelation 21, 8. All right, if our ushers would come at this time, we will receive our tithes and offering.
2: While we are receiving the offering here in our service, let me share a great need, your prayers. Please pray with us that God would use and bless the Foothills Baptist Gospel Hour. This program is a ministry of Foothills Baptist Church of Loveland. If the Lord would lay on your heart to donate to the Foothills Baptist Gospel Hour, we will provide our contact information at the end of this program. We will now return to the
3: service. John chapter 7 for our scripture reading this morning. John chapter 7 and verse 14 through 31. And let's stand please as we read the word of God if you're able to. John 7:14 through 31. Now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God, or whether I speak of myself. He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory. But he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keepeth the law? Why go ye about to kill me? The people answered and said, Thou hast the devil, who goeth about to kill thee? Jesus answered and said unto them, I have done one work, and ye all marvel. Moses, therefore, gave unto you circumcision, not because it is of Moses, but of the fathers. And ye on the Sabbath day circumcise a man. If a man on the Sabbath day receive circumcision, that the law of Moses should not be broken, are ye angry at me, because I have made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day? Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Then said some of them of Jerusalem, Is not this he whom they seek to kill? But, lo, he speaketh boldly, and they say nothing unto him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is the very Christ? Howbeit we know this man whence he is. But when Christ cometh, no man knoweth whence he is. Then cried Jesus in the temple as he taught, saying, Ye both know me, and ye know whence I am. And I am not come of myself, but he that sent me is true, whom ye know not. But I know him, for I am from him, and he hath sent me. Then they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him, because his hour was not yet come. And many of the people believed on him, and said, When Christ cometh, Will he do more miracles than these which this man hath done? Let's bow in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you once again for a beautiful day. This is the day the Lord hath made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. We pray your blessing on the service today. We pray you would bless and help Pastor Miller as he preaches the word of God. We pray that your spirit might work in our hearts, bring conviction and instruction. We thank you for each one who's here today. We pray if there be anyone here who does not know the Lord Jesus, that the gospel will be clear and plain to them. We pray that they would uh, believe and receive the Lord Jesus Christ today. Work in each heart, Lord. Give us uh, what we need from your word today. Help us as we go from this place uh, to let our light shine and be a testimony for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Be seated.
1: John 7, 14 through 31. Historically in America, I think the two most controversial and debated subjects around the dinner table is politics and religion. Or at least it used to be. And uh, many times these debates become mingled or even saturated with either ignorance or misinformation. And the debate becomes so intense that friends and family members become lifetime enemies. That's a shame. You see, if everybody agreed and they all agreed about the truth, actually if they even agreed about a lie, there wouldn't be the debate. But if they all agreed about the truth, there wouldn't be this type of result. Well, in our text today, we have a religious political debate at the feast of tabernacles. And uh, here we see that they have the Israelites have gathered into Jerusalem and uh, there's three major feasts that all the men of Israel were to come to Jerusalem and honor in that feast it was the feast of the Passover, the feast of Pentecost and the feast of tabernacles. And so this was one of those three, the feast of tabernacles and uh, This one would happen what would be called mid-year. You would have the Passover, six months later would be the Feast of Tabernacles, and then in another six months would be the Feast of the Passover. So it would be in the middle of their year that this feast would be. So we understand that this event that we have recorded in John chapter 7 is about six months before our Lord is arrested, crucified, buried, and rose again on the third day. Now, there were three basic groups here in, in the context of our passage. In fact, uh, John chapter 7, we, we have just a little bit of the debate and, and this event in the passage that was read. The whole chapter deals with this event. But we have three basic groups of people that are involved in the discussion and in the debate that takes place right here in John chapter 7. There is the scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders. This group had already determined that they reject Jesus Christ. They were promoting it and they had been looking for a way to kill him and get rid of him. And so that was one of the groups that was there. There was the resident Jews that lived in Jerusalem and just right around that area that were frequently influenced by the religious leaders. And they dare not try to contradict or disagree or openly speak out against them because then they'd be kicked out of the synagogues or out of the temple and out of the worship time. And so they wouldn't speak out against and they knew a little bit as to what was going on as to the Pharisees wanting and seeking for an opportunity to kill him. The third group would be the out-of-town visiting Jews that had come in to be able to be a part of observing the feast. And uh, these were coming from all the different points and all the different regions to worship. And they really didn't know what was going on. Now, they had probably encountered Jesus Christ somewhere along the way. They may have been witnesses to his miracles, but they really were not privy to what was happening there in Jerusalem. And so uh, here we see these three different groups, and they're involved in this debate, and they each have their own opinion and their own idea. So the real debate and the real subject matter here is, who is Jesus Christ? That was the debate. We should know him. Well, what about his teaching? What about his family? Where did he come from? And all of this was the debate about who Jesus Christ is. So in this, this truly was both a religious and a political debate. And unfortunately, in their debate about who Jesus Christ is, it was tainted with either ignorance and misinformation. And, of course, the leadership was involved in giving the misinformation. Doesn't that sound familiar? <laughs> but, but here we have misinformation being handed out. And undoubtedly, by the time the Feast of the uh, uh, Tabernacles was over and people went back to their homes, there was probably some family members and friends that were at odds with each other over their strong opinion about who Jesus Christ is. Now, these Israelites, understand this, and this is an important issue here. Christ asked it more than once, who do men say that I am? In other words, what do they believe about me? He even asked his disciples, what do you believe about Jesus Christ? And what you believe about Jesus Christ is important. Now, here in our passage, in our context, do understand these were Israelites. These were Jewish people. And for the most part, they were devout in their Judaism because they were committed to being there for this feast and for this special occasion. And they were involved. And and so we would understand, yes, as Israelites, they were children of God. They believed in God. And not only that, but for the most part, probably many, if not all of them, believe that the Messiah, Christ, was to come. And I think it is legitimate that they test as to whether this indeed is the Christ. Because it was prophesied there would be many Christ's, and there would be many false prophets. But you know, once that test has been met, doubts need to go away. And so it is crucial that you know who Jesus is and who you're believing in. I believe this is still a widespread problem today. There's a lot of people who say they believe God, and no doubt they do. And there's a lot of people that talk about Jesus and even believe Jesus. But there are those that believe, like you and I here today, we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ who is revealed and presented in the Bible as the Word incarnate, as God the Son, as as the the one sent by the Heavenly Father, the the one who lived a righteous and sinless life. Life, who laid his life down and took upon him our sin, that he may give us his righteousness. We believe the Jesus Christ who is presented in the Bible. But there's a lot of people that believe in a Jesus after man's invention. Or they, they, they make Jesus out to be what they want him to be. It's almost like going to, to the uh, dime novels and, and some of the old Western stories and, and all of the legends about the the heroes or the bad man heroes or whatever uh, of, of the West. And they came to the cliche that if, if the legend is greater than the truth, then you print the legend and believe the legend. Men like uh, Wyatt Earp and Billy the Kid and Jesse James and and the list goes on. They wanted to believe they were what they wanted them to believe to be. Not who they really were. Some of them were really bad men. They were not heroes. But do you know, this is on the other side of the coin. Jesus Christ was truly righteous. But unfortunately people get their own ideas of who Jesus is And they become very committed and follow after that. And there is a great danger. You see, when the people and the crowds did not believe who Jesus really is, they were willing to believe a lie that that he was a blasphemer and an imposter, and they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. You see, if you don't have the right belief, you're coming to the wrong conclusion and going to do the wrong things. And so this morning I want to look at some questions or some tests that I learned from this passage as to how you and I can determine whether our belief is in the Christ that is revealed in the Bible or a Jesus that is of the invention of man's religion. Let me begin with this. Does your doctrine, and and I believe this is one test that we can put as to what we believe. Does your doctrine about Jesus Christ pass the test of righteousness? In verses 16 through 18 we read, Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine... He's going to use this word twice... Folks, doctrine matters. For many decades now, there have been religious men who have said, we just need to set doctrine aside and just all get along and just all love Jesus and all love one another. You cannot do that. Doctrine matters. What you believe determines how you will behave and you will find that over and over again the bible talks about doctrine and what we and that's talk, doctrine is to be the teachings or or what we learn it's the truths and so doctrine matters what do you believe about jesus jesus answered them and said my doctrine is not mine but his that sent to me If any man will do his will, you see, here's where doctrine and doing come together. He shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory, but he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. So does your doctrine about Jesus pass the test of righteousness? It is Jesus Christ who is called the righteous. You will also find that in Jesus Christ, that in him was found no sin. He was perfectly and truly righteous. There was no sin. You will also discover that Jesus Christ preached and taught righteous behavior of his followers. In fact, the woman that was caught in adultery, he said, Go in sin no more. It's not that we have never sinned. We have. God never endorsed sin. He never patronized sin. He simply forgave sin and then said, Go and sin no more. That means live righteously. So I think the question is as a believer, we need to test the fruit. Does the Jesus that you believe in cause you, inspire you, lead you to live a righteous life? To hate every evil way and to love righteousness. Jesus Christ said, test the fruits. And I think here is a fruit that needs to be tested. Does the doctrine of what we believe about Jesus Christ produce righteousness in me not only outward righteousness but righteousness from the inside out and not only are outward actions that are seen by people you see even the Pharisees they had their outward self righteousness and they thought if anybody was good enough to go into heaven it was believed that they were but they were lost we're not talking about just the outward matters of doing right, but that which comes from the heart, our desires, our want to, our attitude, our spirit. And it is something that should be generated from, from that uh, renewing grace or that saving grace that we have experienced when we're born again. It changes us. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And not only is it a new destiny as far as going to heaven, but a new way of life and a new life. Living A new heart, uh, new desires. The old desires have gone away. We have new desires. There are things now that we love and they, they are righteous things and we hate evil things. That's from within. And sometimes the old nature gets the best of us and we do sin. And the difference is, here's a new response. Instead of being gratified by having sinned and look for the next opportunity, that change that takes place in us is we are remorseful and we regret that we have sinned. We ask God to forgive us and we ask Him to help us not to do it again. You see, does what you believe about Jesus Christ produce righteousness or not so many claiming to be Christians and talk about Jesus are just plain full of the world here again is another old cliche if it walks like a duck quacks like a duck, swims like a duck flies like a duck, looks like a duck it must be what? a duck do you know what? If you look like the world, walk like the world, talk like the world, live like the world, listen to the music of the world, dress like the world, I mean, we can go down through all of that. If everything has the appearances of the world, we would come to the conclusion, you must be of the world and not a child of Christ. You see, Jesus Christ ought to change our lives from the inside out. Somebody will say, well, God knows what's on the inside. That's right, man doesn't. The only way man knows what's on the inside is when it is demonstrated in our life outwardly. So many of the men, man-made religious movements, are cradled in some form of lust, greed, or pride. You see, there's a lot of people that talk about Jesus. Mormons talk about Jesus. Jehovah's Witnesses talk about Jesus. I believe even Islam talks about Jesus. And they believe in a Jesus. But in what they believe about Jesus and how it impacts their religion. And you'll even find a lot that are actually in Christendom that talk about Jesus. But in whatever religious movement that they have developed, you'll find that it is cradled in some form of human passion you take mormonism and islam they're all about polygamy polygamy i realize that they can't practice it for the most part here in america but obviously a man designed that religion not god and probably not a woman islam says okay if you go out and commit violence in the name of allah When you die, you're going to get 40 virgins in the afterlife. Obviously, that was created after the loss of men. You see, what God said about marriage in the afterlife, when they were asked about, okay, this woman had seven different husbands, and they were, if I understand, legitimate biblical marriages. They just kept dying on her poor gal, I'd be, I'd be scared to be the third or fourth one that married her. <laughs> Sooner or later, they all got to say no, don't they? But uh, they said, okay, whose husband, whose wife's going to be in, in heaven? And he says, you don't know the scriptures because in heaven, there is neither marriage nor given in marriage. A lot of times... When somebody dies, a lot of them say, well, mama gets to go be with daddy and they get to be back together as, like they were here. No. Now, if they're both saved, they get to see each other. But in heaven, there's neither marriage nor given in marriage. Only God would devise that. Man would devise something that, that appeases and appeals to the loss of man. And whether it be greed... The, the, the gospel of wealth and, and uh, fame, name it and claim it. Normally, in their man-made religion and in their man-made thinking of Jesus, the one that gets the wealthiest is they claim your money. They name it and they take it. And, for the, and sometimes their, their so-called uh, healing process, the number one thing they do is reduce the swelling in your wallet they may be successful at that. Man-made religion is always centered to appeal to some form of lust within man. If the Jesus you believe is not sufficient to deliver you from the bondage of sinful living, then you are following a Jesus of human invention and not the Lord Jesus Christ revealed in the Bible. Jesus Christ not only rose victorious over death and the grave, but also victorious over sin. He not only gives us eternal life, Jesus Christ in His resurrected victorious power gives us deliverance from the bondage of sin on a daily basis. So I think test number one, in the Jesus that you believe in, does it produce righteous fruit in your life? Test number two or question number two. Does your doctrine of Jesus pass the test of glory? Now, what I mean by glory is who's to receive the glory and who who is being idolized or what's happening here. In verse 18, "He, he that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory, but he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true and no unrighteousness is in him. So many people in Christendom have grown to idolize a religious leader. This is the most dangerous thing you can ever do in a religious or Christian life. Now, I, it is good. Number, number one, our glory and honor goes to God. And in that, it is good to follow God's plan of the local church, honor His plan of leadership, but within the biblical boundaries. So many people put religious people on a pedestal and they idolize them. Now, some men do not promote that, do not want that, and are hurt when somebody does that with them because they realize it robs God of His full glory. But there's a lot of religious leaders that have been idolized and glorified and they like it. I could go through a list of names of people that I believe are that way, both present and past. That, that they thrive and they almost promote the idea of being idolized. They may not come right out and say it, but, but they promote that environment of being idolized and, and glorified. And what they're doing in the name of Jesus is drawing a crowd and, and drawing a following which gives them control over their following and gives them great revenue and resources like that. In, in uh, the Friday church news that is available for today, uh, David Cloud exposes some of the the religious organizations. They're giving over $100,000 in honorariums for a two- or three-day speaking engagement to some of these big names. Basically, what they're doing is using these to launder money in all of this. And they become idolized. And it's all about glorifying man. Who and what you believe about Jesus Christ will determine who you glory in and who you will give the glory to. That is absolutely crucial. You will find that the proper spirit of spiritual leadership, we could take an example of John the Baptist. There came a point that as Christ was was announced as the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world, many of the disciples of John the Baptist left John and started following Jesus Christ. And, and there was a, a confrontation about this very issue. And the response of John the Baptist was, he must increase, I must decrease. That's the biblical response. You take all of these men and women who have become the religious idols in Christendom in America today. If they showed up to one of their speaking engagements where they expect thousands to be there and only three or four showed up and they didn't have money, and the rest of them went down the street to really worship God, how do you think they would respond? Well, I'm not speaking here. I'm not talking to them. I'm never coming back to this place. I'm going to go where I can get a crowd. This doesn't... They wouldn't say this, but this doesn't appeal to my vanity. You see, the the proper response is he must increase, I must decrease. One way to know the difference in regards to those that you look to to spiritual leadership and guidance and direction in your life. One way to know whether you are idolizing the leader or glorifying God is if the person you follow egregiously fails you, you discover that they have been financial thieves. They've been embezzling mega money out of the system. If you find out that they have been morally uh, impure, they've been a whoremonger, adulteress, whatever. You, you find whatever it is that they that they are nothing what they have presented them to to be. Or, or they, you tried to visit with them. You tried to get their help. You thought they cared about you and, and they were really concerned about you and they wouldn't even give you the time of day. In fact, they had you ushered out of the presence and, and don't ever come back and I don't want you to bother me or, 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 or any of that. What will you do? Will you turn from God and say, well, if that's the way Christianity is and if that's the way God is, I'll have nothing to do with God. But my friend, sometimes good men fail. And sometimes men that we believed were very good and godly have failed. If you deal with that failure as a learning point, and then continue serving God in faithfulness and obedience then the Jesus you believe in is the one of the Bible. Because that's where your dedication is. But if the Jesus that you're following is the one that's been manufactured by your spiritual idol, and when He fails, you think your God has failed, you're looking at the wrong Jesus. You see, what you believe matters, and it really impacts what's going to happen in your life. The next one is your doctrine of right and wrong will not be conflicting. It can be amazing how in some of these things their doctrines just conflict with each other. Let me give you an example. Well, now, let me back up, and I'll read the text of of what we're dealing with in here. In verses 22 through 23, Moses therefore gave unto you circumcision, not because it is of Moses, but of the fathers. Now, let me explain. Moses put it into the law, but it was given by God to Abraham and handed down through the fathers. And so when he talks about Moses, he's talking about how Moses codified it into the law. Okay. And ye on the Sabbath day circumcise a man. If a man on the Sabbath day receive circumcision that the law of Moses should not be broken, are ye angry at me because I have made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day? You see the the rules the codes, the standards of right and wrong, if they're given of the Lord, they'll they'll never be conflicting. They'll always... your, Your biblical and godly obligations as a parent will never conflict with your biblical and godly obligations to the local church. God does not tell you to do something as a family that will be in direct conflict with the local church. God will not tell the local church to do something and the, and the family to do something that is in conflict with biblical principles of government. Now, I realize that many times families and churches are at odds at government. Families can be at odds with churches because churches, families, or governments violate that institution for what God intended. Then, yes, there is conflict. But when you look at what God commanded of a government, God never commanded anything of a government to be or do that would conflict with what God commanded believers in their practice with the local church. There's no conflict with what God has established. But here we see a great problem in what they were believing. There was a conflict in their rules of right and wrong. Now, as we said, God had ordained and gave circumcision to Abraham as a covenant sign between God and Abraham and his offspring. And all of his offspring, were, males, were to be circumcised to acknowledge that everlasting, eternal, uh, unbreakable covenant, unconditional covenant that God made with Abraham. Then when it was codified in Luke chapter 12 and verse 3, that the child was to be circumcised on the eighth day. Before I go any further, our God is always a marvel. Some may ask, well, why the eighth day? Why not the fifth day? Fourth day? Tenth day? Fifteenth day? Or whatever? God's way ahead of medical science. I learned some time ago... The medical science discovered that on the eighth day after birth, the blood clotting process is in its full mode. To do this earlier than that, there would be excessive bleeding and unnecessary bleeding. Isn't it a marvel how God gives a command, he puts a day to it, and it always matches science, real science, science? But when he gave that in Leviticus 12.3, he did not make an exception on the Sabbath. He didn't say, now if this comes up on the Sabbath day, you wait until the next day. Or if the next day's not going to work, you do it the day before. And so it was codified, and and, and they were, had established this, and they were very rigid with this on the eighth day so that the the uh, doctors of the time, the physicians of the time, they would have to set aside their day of rest and come to the place and perform their procedure for this rite to take place. It was a physical thing that had to happen. And, and he's saying... Now, you believe that it's right for a physician to set aside the day of rest to do this, but you say it is wrong. And the controversy here goes back to John 5 when he had healed the the man at the pool of Bethesda and said, get up and walk and go home. They wanted to kill him for that and then also in that claiming to be God. But the issue that they were using was that he violated the Sabbath. You see, <clears throat> whatever God commands us to do, it is never conflicting with something else God commands us to do. Let me give you a present-day example. In the charismatic movement, with all of their, their teaching about speaking in tongues and their practice of speaking in tongues, by and large what they're doing... Violates exactly what the Bible says if they spoke in tongues. Now, we believe that tongues were assigned to the unbelieving Jew, and when the Bible was finished, that gift ceased. Well, there's a lot that still practice it, but they don't follow the Bible. It says only two, maybe three, should... Should speak, and each one individually, you go into the book of Corinthians, this is what it says. It gives the order for, for that early New Testament church before the Bible was completed. But if they were going to follow that gift today, this is what should happen. Only two or three should do that, and only if they have an interpreter. But if they don't have an interpreter, then they shouldn't speak in tongues at all. And it says that the women were to keep silence, that the women were not supposed to speak in tongues in a public service like that. Their rules totally violate the biblical rules. You see, when you believe that Jesus Christ is revealed in the Word of God, right and wrong will never conflict. It will always be consistent. Next one. Will the Jesus you believe in withstand the test of righteous judgment? Verse 24. Oh, let's say those first two words together. Everybody knows these two words. Wow, that was pretty weak. They know it better than that. All right, together, judge not. Everybody knows those two words. But then they don't know what goes beyond that. Judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Now, God does condemn hypocritical judgment, but he promotes and commands righteous judgment. How do we know the difference between the two? You see, righteous judgment is defending, and with a gracious spirit, And it may be passionately, but righteous judgment is defending biblical truth and righteousness while exposing spiritual lies and evil. That's righteous judgment. Will the Jesus that you believe in and everything that you believe about him, uh, as I mentioned, there was a guy I was talking to. He says, I don't believe Jesus is, is God, but I do believe he's the Einstein of love. What he believes will not stand the the righteous judgment of the Word of God. God is love, but He's but He is God. Jesus is love, but He is God as well. Now, all of these things that that you think and believe about your Jesus, will it stand the scrutinizing test of the Word of God? Righteous judgment. People come along and say, well, you know, Jesus is so loving and so kind and, and he's so wonderful. I just don't believe Jesus would send anybody to hell. Does that stand the scrutiny of the word of God? No. Um, th- there's, there's all kinds of things. You know, Jesus, and, and they're talking about how Jesus now endorses the homosexual movement. Uh, the Bible would totally shut that down. It opposes that. Jesus Christ opposed it. There's so many things that they try to say Jesus is. But it does not stand the scrutiny of righteous judgment from the Word of God. It is the Bible that presents the truth about Him. Righteous judgment is not self-promotion. But rather exalting God and promoting His truth with righteousness. Ephesians Paul says speaking truth with love. That's how righteous judgment should be practiced. Not with hostility and demeaning and and and, and uh, belittling, but speak it truth with love. Will everything you believe about Jesus survive the scrutiny of what the Bible says about him? That is the righteous judgment. If everything you believe about Jesus will stand the test of righteous judgment, that is the unadulterated scrutiny of the Bible, and I'm talking about the Bible that's not been messed up by the rewriters of it, then you believe in Jesus Christ who sent His Son from God the Father. Finally, if you believe that Jesus who is sent from the Father and revealed in the Word, you may be separated from men but you will never be separated from God. If you believe in a wrong kind of Jesus, you could be eternally separated from God. What you believe about Jesus Christ really matters. Hebrews eleven six says, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God believe must believe that He is. That Jesus Christ is everything the Bible says He is. And that He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. And then John 1.12, But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. Folks, it truly matters what you believe about Jesus Christ. Because it will determine what happens. It will determine what you do, where you put your faith, how you believe. If you're believing in a Jesus that was invented after the minds of men and religion, you can't be saved. Because the Bible says there is no salvation under heaven given among men except through Jesus Christ. And that's talking about Jesus Christ as revealed in the Bible. I do not say this to be unkind to anybody that has been misled, has been given misinformation about a man-made Jesus, I say this out of great compassion because I realize the severe consequences. Not only will you miss out on a wonderful life here and now in a real personal relationship with God, but you will miss the eternity with Jesus Christ and instead spend an eternity in hell. What do you believe about Jesus? Father, we come to you this morning and and what a timely and timeless lesson we have here. There are always those that want to talk about Jesus, but they don't want to believe who he really is. And Father, the great tragedy of that is... They cannot be saved by believing in a false Jesus. And they're given a false security and a false hope. And oh God, what a tragedy that will be. Father, I pray that we have been able to clearly present Jesus Christ, God of the Son, as you have been revealed in God's work to us. So that we never mislead, misdirect anyone or give a false hope. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.
2: Thank you for listening to the Foothills Baptist Gospel Hour. For more information about Foothills Baptist Church of Loveland, Colorado, you may visit our website at foothillsbaptistchurch.com. If you wish to donate to this radio ministry, please make your check payable to Foothills Baptist Church and mail to P.O. Box 771, Loveland, Colorado, 80539. Or you may go to our website at foothillsbaptistchurch.com and click on the Give tab. We would love to have you visit our regular Sunday services with morning worship at 930, Sunday school at 1050, and Sunday evening at 5 o'clock. And until we meet again, be sure you are...
0: Grace that taught
4: folks larry elder here the rumors are true khnc listeners are loving Y refi they're investing in a secure collateralized portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market or to the fed a portfolio where you know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises your interest is compounded daily you're paid monthly and there are no fees you can turn your income on or off compounded whatever you choose and get this there is no loss of principal if you ever need your money back. Eldorados, you got to get in touch with Y Refi. I've met with them personally, and take it from me, the great Eldersky, they are trustworthy, honest, and you can earn a fixed rate of return up to 10.25%. Just go to investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then R E F Y.com, or call. 888-YREFI24. Click on investyrefi.com or call 888-YREFI24. You will be glad you did. Tehibo
5: Tea Club's original Pure Pouty Arco Super Tea helps build red corpuscles in the blood which carry oxygen to our organs and cells. Our organs and cells need oxygen to regenerate themselves. The immune system needs oxygen to develop and cancer dies in oxygen. So the tea is great for healthy people because it helps build the immune system Hey friends, Freddie Freeman here A wise man by the name of Ben Franklin
2: once said By failing to prepare, you are preparing to fail So go to 1360KHNC.com and click the Patriot Supply button And make sure you're prepared
5: With plenty of survival products from emergency survival food Water filtration systems, survival coffee and more My Patriot Supply has got the perfect gifts for you Just click that Patriot Supply button only on 1360KHNC.com
3: As 1360 continues to grow, we want to know what our listeners think. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. Give us your feedback. Go to 1360KHNC.com and hit the contact button and give us your thoughts.
2: This is Mark Hall, host of the Come Out of Her My People show here on the Roar of the Rockies. Tune in to discover why, whether it's the law of the land or scripture, what you've probably heard it says is not what is written. It's time to come out of all of that.